This show is made possible by you, our listeners. If you like what you hear, and if you want to help us tell more stories and reach more people, then from only two US dollars a month, you can become a patron of the show. Just visit patreon.com forward slash Aruka Network. Water. It's very often why a community is where it is by a river, a lake, a borehole. However, climate change means that some parts of the world are seeing more floods, while others are seeing more droughts. And this unpredictability is making it increasingly difficult for many communities to access enough safe water for drinking and other purposes. And it's posing a growing challenge to the women and girls around the world who often bear the responsibility of collecting water for their households. So in this episode, we're thinking about drinking water, health, climate change and women. The amazing work that these women did changed minds in their community about the role of women. So it's made life better for everyone in the community. That's the voice of Catherine Farr. She is Senior Policy Advisor on International Climate Action at WaterAid UK. Shortly, you'll hear her explain how in Bangladesh, the challenge of accessing safe drinking water in a changing climate has led to an opportunity for a community to not only access safe water, but also to improve gender equality. But first, I spoke to a health coach called Alison Liu, and she told me why having access to enough safe drinking water is so crucial for all of us. She told me that our bodies are approximately 60 to 75% water and that water is so important for the health of our kidneys that frequent dehydration, even if it's mild, may lead to permanent kidney damage. She also explained that if we become dehydrated, our brains are unable to function properly. 70 to 80% of our brain is water. And so when, when we don't have adequate water, then we can't pull our thoughts together or we're more likely to feel a bit confused and a bit fuzzy. And so, you know, if we want to, if we want to be productive and think clearly, then making sure to be drinking enough water is really important. Actually, it's one of the, one of the first things in a sense that I would recommend if you want to do something that can really help support your brain, actually just make sure to drink enough water. Um, I recommend, uh, as well, just getting a lovely large glass of water, maybe first thing in the morning. It kind of wakes up the liver and the kidneys and that kicks in that detoxification processing going on in the body. And, um, and it, so it's a lovely way to start the day. So every second of every day our bodies are hard at work keeping us alive and well and water plays a crucial role in this but according to the world health organization about a quarter of the world's population don't have access to enough safe and affordable drinking water instead millions of people have to work hard to obtain even small amounts of water from sources that are often contaminated with that in mind, let's hear from today's guest, Catherine. She began by giving me an indication of just how long it can take people to collect water in some parts of the world. To have a basic water supply means the collection time, including queuing, for a round trip 
can't be more than half an hour. And yet we do see that it's commonly more than half an hour in many places around the world. In some places, you're queuing for safe water, right? It's clean water. It's been treated. So you're, you know, you're 45 minutes from the nearest point, but you know you're getting good water. That's one category. Then, of course, there's a different category. Not only do you have a long collection time, but in some of these places, the water quality is quite poor. This is not water that's really fit to drink or use for cooking, or even in some cases to water plants, but it's the only source of water that's available to them. And so there's a further question of when they get home, are they able to boil the water? Or do something to make it safe, or are they having to drink unsafe water? And of course, I don't know if you have ever carried a jerry can full of water, but they're very, very heavy. And so it's very physically taxing to carry all of this back. Um, And for some of the women in some of our communities, it's many kilometers that they're walking back. And this time and effort can have many knock-on effects on the lives of those who have to do it, particularly women and children. We know stories of girls who aren't able to go to school because the the length of time, and, and sometimes little boys as well, um, the time it takes to get the water means that there's not time for school. Um, it takes up time that women could, you know, be doing other other things, or it it adds pressure to them if they have sick family members they have to care for. They might need even more water for those um, those family members. But it also means for women who are pregnant or breastfeeding, who are in a situation where they actually need more water, and yet they're probably not able to collect that additional water, um, and they might be sacrificing the water they need to try to give it to other members of the family. So that gives a sense of the challenge. But what about the solutions? Well, Catherine told me this fascinating story from Bangladesh. So Bangladesh is a low-lying country that is particularly at risk from rising sea levels. And these rising sea levels can result in the contamination of freshwater supplies by the salty seawater, something known as saline intrusion. And WaterAid, which is an international NGO that's active in the country, and as you might expect is focused on water, sanitation and hygiene, along with a local NGO called Rupantar, decided to look for groups of women in the country who were eager to work with them to build local solutions to this challenge. And that's where one Bangladeshi lady called Geeta Roy comes in. As a direct result of climate change, there was no safe source of drinking water in Geeta's village. So prior to this project, her daily chores included collecting water for herself and her 14 family members, which was obviously a time-consuming and exhausting task. And Catherine told me that these were not the only challenges Gita experienced. When she got married early and wanted to continue essentially high school, not only did she have to ask her husband's permission... And he wanted to support her in that. He then had to ask the rest of his family, and then they had to ask the community leaders for her to to be able to do this. But when Gita heard about this potential water project, she was really keen to get involved. So at her invitation, WaterAid and Rapanta came to the village 
did a climate assessment with the community, worked out what kind of a water plant would best suit that community, and offered to build it and to support the women who would use it. We will train you on how to do the business and we'll train you on how to run the plant. Um, but you have to be the ones to convince the committee and the local community that this is a good idea because if they don't buy into it, this isn't going to work. And so they took the initiative and they led that work and they it took them several months, but they, they were able to get those um, minds changed and they really talked to people about, you know, this is what the drinking water plant will mean. We as a community will have one in our village. We won't have to be spending all this time. The water quality will be better. So Gita formed a group with 10 other women and they began to advocate for the necessary community agreement for a water treatment plant that would make salt water safe to drink. Some in the community felt that women shouldn't be business leaders, but the group was determined and they went from door to door explaining the benefits of the project. Eventually, the community agreed to the project and they were able to get started. And here's a, here's a few more of the logistics that were involved in getting it going. So they each needed to raise about 158 euros and they rented the land on a 15-year lease. We helped them set up a company and creating a business plan. And so for the first time, they were actually able to access loans because they were set up as a business. And that's a real challenge, right? Is originally if you've got community members who have a great idea, a lot of the women aren't in a position to be taken seriously to get a loan. As Catherine was explaining all this i was very impressed but i did wonder about the water treatment technology that the group would be helping to manage that sounds amazing reverse osmosis was that the, was that the name you said for the plant? that is the name i said yes it, that, it sounds very um co complicated to to my ears anyway how difficult is it to train uh, novices i suppose in in maintaining it and if part of it breaks or a new part is needed how how is how is that sourced um yes yeah, so so reverse osmosis is essentially you take the saline water and essentially you separate the impurities out from it so you're right that it's not about training people to be experts when i was talking about the maintenance and operation um, they start with a two-year contract with a company that would be able to come in if, if certain parts break. So there's some there's some things that the women can do when things don't work to fix them. And there are some things where they'll need to call on the experts that they've signed up with um, to come and give a change. And I, I guess the example I would give if you drive a car is the difference between changing your own oil versus putting in a new transmission. The, the, the sort of the ongoing costs of something like this then is is that will that be covered by water raid or would is is the government involved in this or is it local people funding this there is a a, a charge for the water and it's it's not very much but they had to have a business plan that would show that they would be able to cover the operation and maintenance needs through the revenue that they've generated and they've been successful enough that the women have actually gotten returns on their investment. So they're doing very well with that. We, I think we in the NGO 
international development world have a tendency of tell it, telling a story of this this really impressive thing that we've done um but overlooking the challenges involved in doing it and maintaining it um and actually there's a lot of lessons in thinking about those challenges so i i just wonder what have been the big challenges in in a project like this um that that perhaps that there can be lessons learned from as and when something like this is implemented elsewhere so even after Giederbroy came and said, I'm interested, it wasn't the next day, right, that um, that everyone agreed to the drinking water plant. It really did take months for the community to, af- after the agreement had been that a drinking water plant was needed, that agreement was, okay, fine, we will let the women run the plant. Um, in order to get the plant. Um, that's a really long timeline. And I think, um, to be honest, particularly donors uh, often think, oh, well, you've done it one place and so you can replicate it somewhere else. And that's that can absolutely be true. But, you know, we had an amazing group of women who really wanted to see this happen. And if you don't have the community buy-in and you don't have the leaders in the community who want to do um, and own the work, it's not it's not going to be successful. The plant opened in 2020 and many people from the surrounding area attended the opening ceremony. Unfortunately, I've not been able to speak directly to Gita for this episode, but I can quote her. She said in Tearfund's Footsteps magazine, I struggle to find words to describe what I felt at that moment. Swarms of people came to our plant throughout the day to collect water and I could see all the hard work coming to fruition. Having my own identity, earning my own income and not depending on anyone for my needs is very satisfying. So that's what Gita had to say. Today the plant serves nine villages and it's become increasingly profitable and efficient. But that's not all that it's done, as Catherine explains. The amazing work that these women did changed minds in their community about the role of women. So prior to this, they many, many people had felt that women shouldn't be in business, they shouldn't own businesses, but this has been so successful and it's made life better for everyone in the community. And so many of the women who've been involved in it have taken the proceeds that they've gotten and they've decided to start other businesses. So whether that's um, buying a sewing machine and starting sort of a, a tailoring business and bringing on another young woman in the community to help with that. Um, Gita Roy has gone into local politics and was elected um, at the council election back in 2022. So you can see there's just a lot of energy and change. And of course, the health of the community is much better. And the doctors are specifically prescribing that families use the water at the drinking plant um, to keep them from having diarrhea issues and other um, waterborne disease problems. So it's really been a very holistic community solution that's really given everyone a lot more Um, but it has also really empowered the women in that community. Finally, I asked Catherine what message she has for anyone listening to this who'd like to do something similar to Gita Roy where they live. 
I think it's important to know that there are resources out there. There are a lot of people who want to support you in the work that you need to do to reach um to have the access that you need and and to be climate resilient but um some of those people don't know how to find you so um don't don't lose heart um the i think the bit of the story i didn't tell is how long um gita wanted uh, roy wanted to fix this problem before she heard of a solution which was the project that water aid was doing so always be on the lookout and listening and tell people the kind of solution you want to do and know that um, there will be people out there who want to help you make that happen. So that was Catherine Farr, Senior Policy Advisor on International Climate Action at WaterAid UK. And that's almost it for this episode. Before we go, you can help support this show by making a small monthly donation on our Patreon page. Just visit patreon.com forward slash Aruka Network. You can read and download every edition of Tearfund's Footsteps magazine at learn.tearfund.org, including editions on safe drinking water and communicable diseases. You can catch up on previous episodes of How to Build Community online or in your podcast player. Just search How to Build Community. And finally, if you've got some feedback on this show or maybe suggestions for future interviewees, then you can reach me via email jake at arukanetwork.org. But that's it for this episode. Until next time, bye for now.